Welcome to the Wellness and Wanderlust podcast. We're here to demystify wellness and help you add a little adventure to your life. Tune in for a new episode every week where we'll hear from incredible guests and talk about ways to be happier and healthier in our new normal. I'm your host, Valerie Moses. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Wellness and Wanderlust, where we explore small changes we can make to live our best lives. I'm your host, Valerie Moses, and I am so honored that you've chosen to share a part of your day with us here. Now, I truly love that I get to show up here every week, and I've really enjoyed getting to know so many incredible guests and listeners in our little community. So welcome, and thank you for being here. I'd also like to share that I was recently interviewed for the Johnny Talks podcast, kind of like Money Talks, a show that explores personal finance from multiple perspectives and helps listeners understand the basics of money. Jonathan and I talk about how physical wellness, mental health, and finances go hand in hand. So if you're coming over here from the Johnny Talks podcast, Podcast, a special welcome to you. And if not, I highly recommend you give this episode and the entire show a listen. It was truly a joy to chat with him. Now, Jonathan will actually be coming on our podcast in the next few weeks, so stay tuned for that. And I will link this episode of the Johnny Talks podcast in our show notes so that you can tune in if you haven't already. Now, last week on Wellness and Wanderlust, we heard from Taylor Lawrence all about habit formation and how we can create healthy habits that stick. I've been struggling personally with this, especially during the pandemic, and so I thought I'd share a quick personal update about my own goals. Since my interview with Taylor, I'm really excited to share that I have created an implementation statement for my morning exercise so that I could make that a routine. My health has not been amazing over the past few months, so I've done a little bit of soul searching to try and remember what I was doing when I was feeling really great a year ago. And working out consistently each day was definitely one of those things. I thrive on accountability, so I will definitely keep you all posted on my progress. And of course, if you need an accountability partner on something that you're working toward, please do not hesitate to reach out. This week's episode is a really fun one. I had the chance to sit down with Bridget Peppy, who is a dear friend of mine from graduate school, and she shares what it's like to make a major career change in her 40s. We talk about breaking through those comfort zones and pushing past that fear, advocating for yourself as a woman and a working mom, and standing out in a brand new role. She also shares her journey adopting two little girls, and I swear I had tears in my eyes listening back to our conversation when I was in the editing process, and I know that you will too. You will be so inspired by her story, and I cannot wait for you to hear from her. So without further ado, let's dive into episode 35 with Bridget Peppy. Hi, Bridget. Thank you so much for joining us at Wellness and Wanderlust. Thanks for having me, Val. I'm really excited. I'm so excited to have you. It has been a long time coming. It's been a while since I've gotten to talk to you. So for our listeners who don't know, Bridget and I attended MBA school together. Yes. Go Knights. Go Knights. Hard on. (laughs) (laughs) And before we dive in, I just have to tell a little story about Bridget as well. We were in the same group together our second semester of grad school, and everybody was under a lot of stress going into school. We're all working full time. I came to class and it's six o'clock, no dinner. And Bridget offered me, you know, we barely knew each other, offered me half of her salad (laughs) and explained to me, well, I'm a mom and I'm Italian, so I'm not going to let you go hungry. It's very true. I also can't cook in small quantities. I can only cook for large gatherings. And you cook great food. Thank you. Thank you. I try. So that's a little insight into who Bridget is as a person. And I remember I had like tears in my eyes of how kind someone could be in a, you know, cutthroat graduate program. 
I remember on, on graduation day, my dad was so thought it was amazing and was so touched that um, you guys called me Mama Bridget. She yes. that he just thought that was the cutest thing ever. <laughs> well, I think our program was really like a family and that made it so special for me. I have not seen a cohort that was so close knit like ours was. And so absolutely. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know you, why don't you tell yes. them a little bit about yourself? Okay, so um, let's see. I am married to my husband, Brian. We've been married for 17 years. And then we have four children. Two are our biological boys, and then two are adopted girls, little girls. And that in itself is a huge, long story, um, completely life-changing. Both of my parents are still here. They live right next door. I have two sisters, lots of sister-in-laws. Big family, big family. What else do you want to know about me? Tell us a little bit about what you do as well. Okay. So the majority of my career has been sourcing and procurement. Um, Really all of my career since, gosh, since my early 20s, I started doing it. Just kind of fell into it. I worked for a home builder and they needed somebody to help do scheduling. And, and I just learned from there how to how to get bids and all that kind of stuff. So did that for most of my life. Last year, stopped working because of the addition of our fourth child. Uh, and now recently I've gone back to work in a completely different career. So I'd love to know what that transition was like, just going back to work, especially now with two young girls and you know what you're currently doing. Yeah. So I started back in January as part-time customer service, like an hourly position, just answering emails. It was remote. So it worked out good because I could work whatever hours they were very flexible. So I could work around the kids' schedules, but I was still like earning some money and kind of feeling a little bit more like myself. Being home for a year, I learned I am not a good stay-at-home mom. (laughs) (laughs) Stay-at-home moms are amazing angels on this earth, and I'm the type of person where I I like to work. But anyway, so I started part-time just doing customer service, answering emails, working with the government. So the company I work for is Abbott Rapid Diagnostics, and they um, have one of the rapid COVID tests that came out last year. So they were super busy because like just keeping up with the the workload. Mm. So after about two or three weeks, I just kept asking like, am I limited to how many hours I can work? And because once the girls would go to bed, I would come back on and work some more. And they were very impressed by the work I could do. And I was like, well, you know, I've been working for 20 something years and I have a master's degree, so I I should be able to answer emails, right? Like, um, (laughs) it wasn't hard. I shouldn't say it wasn't hard work for me. For me, it was just stuff I've done before because even in sourcing and procurement, you have your internal customers that you always have to deliver good customer service to and build those relationships. So I just kind of fell into it naturally. So I asked if I could come on full time and they said, yes, they wanted me. They were very excited that I was willing to come on full time. And they actually created a position for me that's um, a a couple of levels up from what I was doing. So, and um, actually that position started today. Congratulations. Thank you very much. It was a long process because they had to write the job description, get it approved, you know, go through that whole process. So I am actually a um, business analyst for domestic customer service and global business services. That sounds very important. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's quite a title. It, and, it, and really what it comes down to is doing process improvements, looking at the data, observing, and coming up with ways that we could be more efficient and serve our customers better. That, that's really like the high level job description. So obviously skills we learned in our, in our program, skills I've developed over the years um, in sourcing and procurement, you know, you're always looking to save money, looking to be more efficient. So I have that skill set. So that's kind of why they were really excited to build this position and, and have me have me in it um, because it's something they haven't had yet. And they've grown the team. They've doubled it in the past year because of the pandemic. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So where all these companies were laying off, um, Abbott was hiring like crazy, trying to keep up with demand. I can imagine. I mean, this is definitely a good business to be in, especially during a pandemic. Yes. But I do think that's something that as a workforce, we're going to be more inclined to go for these types of companies as well. I think they're going to be in higher demand. And yeah. I think the positions will only grow over time, especially since there are still, you know, variations of this disease and there's so much we don't know even a year in. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And now they're releasing it. It's actually out already, a home version of the test. Oh, wow. Yes, which I think is going to be huge. I, I, I foresee our medical and government sectors decreasing their ordering as this home test becomes more available because you won't need an appointment. It's very affordable. Um, you do it right in your home, you know? So um, I know Brian had COVID back in October and we all had to go get tested. And I sat in an office for the better part of three hours trying to mm -hmm. get a COVID test, you know? So I don't know how, if that's gotten more efficient now, but uh, it, it, I think it's just going to be huge. And what we're learning, I think about this disease is preparing us for anything else that's going to come about. You know, so I think this is the medical industry is especially diagnostics is going to be huge going forward. Yeah, I think at home testing makes, you know, it's a game changer for sure. I think mm -hmm. about even when I'm feeling a little bit sick and would go into urgent care, even though you might be the sick one, you're still sitting there thinking <laughs> I might catch something from one of these <laughs> sick people in here. And Absolutely. Yeah. And think of how dependent we've become on home. We've gotten, you know, in the past year, we've gotten so accustomed to being home. I don't go grocery shopping anymore. I do it all on my phone and either pick it up or um, have it delivered because I realized, wow, I don't like grocery shopping and it's so much easier to sit here and order it on my phone, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's something yeah. that certainly changed for me as well. I'm starting to venture out to the stores a little bit more again because my neighborhood has a little bit of a gate issue that makes it difficult for the delivery drivers. Yes. So now it's actually becoming more of an inconvenience. But, you know, <laughs> even today as it was starting to rain, I was thinking, oh, I really just want to order something to my apartment yeah. because, you know, that really has become the norm. And I did venture out. I actually walked across the street and picked up food. <laughs> You know, certainly doing these things at home. I mean, that's right. Absolutely. That's changed the game. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually taught me that I don't want to homeschool ever. So. <laughs> I think, I think for a lot of people, <laughs> I was scrolling through my Facebook the other day and one of the memories came up that I tagged Andrew's teacher from last year. And it said, you lied. My child is not a joy to having class. <laughs> and that was very relevant last year. 
Oh my goodness. Well, I have so much respect for all the parents, well, especially for the teachers, but for all of the parents who have had to really change everything from working at home and having everything in your home. And so I do think having the tests at home as well definitely makes a huge difference and being able to work remotely and have some of that flexibility. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now for you changing careers during a pandemic and, you know, you're turning 45 if I'm allowed to, you know, you, you don't look it, but you know, I think a lot of us are really averse to change. And I think we've unfortunately been in some ways forced into major change with this quote unquote new normal. And I actually had a couple of listeners, both Allie and Dane asked how you overcame some of those fears when it comes to change and risk, because I think You know, changing careers, maybe when you're 22 and graduating college, you know, and every possibility is out there. But now at 30, when I think about it, I'm like, no way. And I'd love to know what that was like for you. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory to kind of Mm -hmm. of have some context. So as you know, when we met, I worked at Universal and I loved it. I absolutely adored working there, Universal Studios. But the commute for me was getting to be too much. And my family at the time was just not interested in moving closer to Orlando So I took a job with Deloitte doing consulting, which was closer to my house. And I realized after about a year that consulting wasn't the career move for me. I thought I would enjoy it. I thought I would enjoy working on different projects, but I really missed having a connection to my employer, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, And not that I wasn't connected to Deloitte. It's just that when you're working on a project and you're only there for a finite amount of time, there's this, this connection that gets missed. And I remember my first project ending And, you know, I had talked to these people every day intimately for, for months and then it was just done and they were out of my life. And that was the strangest thing to me, you know, (laughs) and I just found it really weird. And I think, you know, my personality, um, and, and and it was just like a very odd feeling for me and just Mm -hmm. not something I was enjoying. Um, I also didn't enjoy the amount of travel that comes with consulting, uh, especially going to Michigan in February was not fun. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So last year, I'm going to tell this, I'm going to tell the story really quick. Last year in February, I was in Michigan. It was snowing. I was freezing. I was getting on a plane to come home. I had been pretty unhappy in the, in the months leading up to that work wise. And uh, we had already brought Madison into our home at that point. Her adoption was finalized. And then the uh, adoption agency, well, the foster agency called me. I was I'm getting on a plane and they said, we know that you're interested in Brooklyn and we want to know if you want to take her now. Now, Brooklyn's related to Madison biologically, as you know, and well, your listeners don't know, but Brooklyn is related (laughs) to Madison biologically. So we had expressed interest that if her, if her mom did not step up for reunification, that we would like to raise them together. But we weren't prepared at that point to take a two-year-old. So Brian and I, um, so I, I said, well, I need to talk about it and I will call you back. And like 30 seconds later, her supervisor calls and she's like, we really, really want you to take Brooklyn. And, and, and they thought that having her in her forever home now would help expedite her case of getting her parental rights terminated. So Brian and I talked about it. We looked at our finances and since I was so unhappy and we were going to take on a, a, a toddler who'd been through some trauma, we decided the best thing for me would be to quit my job. And that was a huge risk after working since I was 16 years old, now at 43, just saying, okay, I'm not going to work anymore. And it was scary, not only like being the stay-at-home mom part of it, but just as a woman who's always had her own money, Mm -hmm. you know, so the whole like 
feminist side of me was like a little, a little nervous, you know, but my husband's a good man. So I was comfortable with it. So I, my idea was, um, you know, I was teaching one college course online. So I keep doing that. I started doing some like crafting things, making t-shirts. And that was kind of the plan is I was going to do craft shows on the weekends to make extra money. Well, then the pandemic hit and my last day of work was the kids last day of spring break. And then everyone back to school. So thank God I quit my job because there's no way I would have been able to maintain the work that I was doing and take care of all these children. So, you know, they, cause then I had a new child transitioning in three other children getting used to a new child and now everybody's home together. And that included Brian too. You know, Brian came home from work one day and never went back. So that was just kind of all crazy. I actually got my notary stamp and I was doing some notary work on the side. And then it just, I wasn't, having the time to put into there was no craft shows and nobody wanted t-shirts because nobody's working you know and things like that so that was all kind of falling apart I shouldn't say falling apart it just never really took off the way I I, I'd planned it to and then the kids went back to school in August and um I was kind of I don't want to say bored because no matter what when you have a husband and four kids you're always busy but I just missed being a part of something. So when I got the call in November about this part-time opportunity, I was like, yes, 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 yes. A thousand times. Yes. I want to do this because then at least for four to five hours a day, when the kids were gone, I had routine again. I had something I was a part of and the work to me came naturally and easy for me. So you know, I like to do good. So I was excelling and I just found it exciting um, to be doing something new and learning a new industry. And then um, they, when I talked to them about moving to full-time, they had actually had a purchasing position open. And my manager asked me, why don't you want to do purchasing? And I said, honestly, I have done sourcing and procurement for so long. I really just want to try something new. And I will tell you the, the scary part of it is I could answer emails. That wasn't a problem. I'm good at relationship building. I could do that part. No problem. It was the, what else, what don't I know? That's what I was afraid of. Is there something I don't know that I'm not going to be able to get? And now I have to learn all these new products and all this kind of stuff. But then I read Megan Kelly wrote a book a few years ago and it's called settle for more. And that title resonated with me. And if you don't know her story, she was a very well-paid, very good lawyer and left it all to go on television and with kids at home and a husband and everything. So that just really, that was always in the back of my mind because I was kind of done with the sourcing and procurement. I, I didn't like what I was doing. I shouldn't say it like it. I just wasn't feeling energized by it anymore. And doing this new customer service job, I was starting to feel energized again. So um, I could have made more money in the purchasing role, but for me, it wasn't about the money because I had just lived a whole year on, on one salary. So any amount of money was good. Um, so it just felt like the perfect time to take that risk. And, and, you know, Brian said to me, you won't know unless you do it. And what's mm -hmm. the worst that happens is, is you find something else. And it was kind of the same thing when I quit my job. It was like, we don't know if we don't try. So I think Brian and I, we're good. Um, I bring him up a lot just because we're, we're really our team. I think that's so important in a marriage and it, everything's a joint decision for the most part that affects the family. So he was just super supportive and just like, you know, you're never going to know when you're always going to wonder. And, and that's kind of, I went back to that, that Megan Kelly book and that, and that just the title, you don't even need the contents of the book to get the, 
to feel the energy of settle for more. Don't settle for less. Don't be complacent. If you're not fully energized and you don't love what you're doing, you just got to take the risk and do it. You can always go back. You can always go back. That was, so that was kind of what I, the mantra I put in my head and, you know, I'm a, I'm a spiritual person. So I prayed about it a little bit and everything's been, everything has just fallen into place since then. I think that's an incredible story. And I think, I think that, I think there's something so divine about the timing too, because, you know, you were able to, at the perfect time, take Brooklyn and bring her into your family. And I think there's something so special about that. And I am truly so inspired by, um, you know, you and your family and their story. But I think that's a really great perspective to take with settling Mm -hmm. for more. And I haven't read that book, but I'll need to, I'll need to definitely check that out. But you know, I think that's something we are all, we can be risk averse. I had a guest on the, on the show not too long ago, talk about the lies that we tell ourselves and everybody Mm -hmm. has a big lie. And mine is that I need to be comfortable. Yep. And all of the best decisions I've made have been when I've gone out of my comfort zone, including the PMBA program. I was Mm -hmm. not going to do that program. I did not feel ready for it. And maybe I wasn't ready for it, but that ultimately was the step I needed to move forward in my career and, you know, make incredible friends as well. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I did an MBA program. What was most important for me is I got my bachelor's degree online. So doing it in person was not only a personal challenge for me, it was a professional thing. Like I wanted to show people, anybody who doubted my online degree, because, you know, online degrees have really just recently become acceptable. And, um, you know, they kind of had a stigma for a little while. And so I wanted to not only prove to myself I could do it in person, but I could put out at the time it was my boss who you've met. <laughs> so at the time it was him. I wanted to prove to him that I could do it in person. And that's what motivated me at the time. Well, I'm glad you did. And I'm glad that I did so that we can have this conversation <laughs> today. <laughs> and you're right. You know, like you said, the, the only time we grow is when it hurts. It's so cliche, but no pain, no gain is a real thing in all aspects of our life. We grow the most through pain and it's, or uncomfortableness doesn't have to be painful, but you know, just uneasiness um, is where we learn to push ourselves. And, and, and when we learn what we're really truly made of, I can tell you there's moments. So Brooklyn is a screamer mm. and, uh, <laughs> and there, <laughs> there are times when I really thought I was going to lose my mind and snap, but I've learned that I can... I can push past that, you know, especially my personality of being very loud. I'm naturally a loud person. My reaction is to yell louder, you know, than her. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, psychology tells us that's not the way to deal with a screaming child. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, so um, in my worst moments with her is when I learned to be a better mom. Oh, a hundred percent. Now I, I would ask too, because I think you raise a lot of really good points with this, getting out of our comfort zone really is what stretches us. It's what makes us better humans. It makes us better in our jobs. It makes us better in pretty much every way. But again, it's a comfort zone and people can be scared to do that. What advice do you have for someone who is wanting to get out of that comfort zone, but just kind of struggling there? Like what, how can they make that hurdle? I think number one for me is if you're spiritual, you need to pray on it. Or if you're somebody who meditates, you need to meditate on it. I think that's so important. Even writing about it and sticking it away, talking to your trusted people is really important in your life because you have to get it out. You can't just hold it in and do it all in your head. You need help. 
Um, and whether that be a spiritual help or in-person help, I, I talk to everybody in my life. And I, I ask, what do you think? What do you think? And, and you know this about me and I'll share with your listeners, you know, I've been in recovery for 22 years. So mm-hmm. I have a a group of women that love and support me. And, and I talk through these decisions with, and everybody should have that in their life. You don't have to be mm-hmm. a recovering alcoholic to have a group of supportive women or, or men in your life. I think that's really important. And then the other thing is, is just pick yourself up and do it. Just, you got to push through that fear. Fear is a killer. There's this song that I love and, and it's a Christian song, but there's the moral of it is it, the title is fear is a liar. And it's true. Fear is a liar, you know? And, um, and I love that song for that reason, because it, it, it reminds me that yes, fear is just myself talking myself out of it. That's all fear is. And, and I always think of what is the worst case scenario. And once you stop being afraid of that worst case scenario, it all just kind of falls into place. And it, and it was, it was hard for me when I had to realize, you know what, I'm just not meant to be in business for myself right now. You, you know, whether that was the notary work or, or, the, or the t-shirt work or whatever I was going to try and do, it just wasn't for me. And that's okay. It didn't make me a failure. I tried it. It wasn't for me. I move on to the next thing. Uh, and I say this to Richie all the time, my oldest son, who, you know, he kind of suffers from a little bit, bit of anxiety. He's about to go to college. You know, this is grown up stuff. And I tell him, you just have to push past it. There's mm-hmm. nothing more I can say except take a deep breath close your eyes and do it. And sometimes I cry through it. Sometimes, you know, I whine through it. But at the end of the day, you just have to pick yourself up and do it. I love that. And, you know, it's so funny when you mentioned a song lyric, I thought you were going to give me a Metallica there. Um, <laughs> that that quote, though, the fear is a liar. I mean, that, rem- that reminds me of another quote from um, I'm taking a, a DEI course right now. And mm-hmm. they talked about fear as an acronym of false evidence appearing real, which very much sounds like that. And yeah, when we do listen to our fears, we, I mean, fear is there for a reason, but I mean, we have such a stress response that we would normally have had, you know, in the caveman days to a very real, you know, a lion chasing you. We have that same response to, you know, maybe I should try a different career path or, you know, late on a deadline or I'm a bad person because I am thinking of doing X, Y, and Z that maybe doesn't actually have any bearing on who I am as a person, but that is that fear and that false evidence and, you know, fear as a liar. So I I love that quote. (laughs) Even if you're not a religious person, um, I I encourage people to listen to that song or just look up the lyrics because it it really, um, when I heard that song the first time, I ugly cried in my car. And, but, you know, it's true. And then we just have to remember that it's in us. It's in us to do what we want to do. We just have to dig down deep sometimes and bring it up and let that self-doubt go. And if we fail, you just pick up and do it again. I think that's something that there are probably people listening to this right now that need to hear this right now. And, you know, I certainly, there are times when I need that message and you're, you're absolutely right. I, I really love that. Now I will say I struggle with this too. I can talk about it great, but (laughs) there are days when I I have my, a, a really good friend of mine, um, who jokes with me all the time about my overthinking because I overthink my overthinking. And I think a lot of us do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it goes back to self-doubt, but but I think making these decisions that I have over the past years really helped me grow and have a little more self-confidence in myself. 
That's awesome. And that's something one of our other guests came on um, who works with teen girls. And we were talking about that self-esteem that she works to build with them. But at the same time, I mean, it's the same stuff that we all are working on every day. And I think Mm -hmm. understanding that everybody at one time or another is having doubts about what they're doing or is wondering if they're doing the right thing or if they have what it takes to do it. And I think that makes the process a little less lonely to go through as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. We, we all have the same thoughts. I think sometimes we're afraid to talk about it because we're, again, fear. We don't want people to think less of us and we don't want to think less of us. We don't want to appear, you know, that we're weak or anything like that. So, so we hold it all inside, but I think it's really important. The strongest people I know are people that aren't afraid to be vulnerable. That is so true. Now, for you, not only are you going through a career change, but you know, as a working mother, there are plenty of challenges, especially during a pandemic. And you know, you were a working mother before that, but now with not only you know two adopted girls, but they are girls, which are very different than boys. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> what challenges have you faced as a working mother in this changing environment? And what advice do you have for others who might be going through that? The hardest thing for me right now is, so the kids come home at 2.30 every day because Brooklyn school is only open from nine till 2.30 and and Madison school ends, you know, Madison and Andrew come home at 2.30 from elementary school. And at the beginning of the year, I wasn't working. So I didn't put them in any kind of aftercare program. And I didn't want to change up their routine this late in the game. So, so Brooklyn and Madison are actually starting full-time programs in the summer, but for now, from, from two 30 to five, I have to be a mom and work at the same time. And that could be very difficult, especially, you know, Andrew will go play his video games and he's pretty good, but the girls want my attention all Mm -hmm. the time and they want snacks all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So for the, for tiny little girls, they sure eat a lot, but uh, you know, so it's hard. The, The hardest thing for me is one, I don't want them to think I don't have time for them. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, I want to do a good job. So, and, and there's times when I'm in the middle of, of analyzing something or trying to do a formula or I'm thinking and they're constantly in there. And then I probably raise my voice a little bit more than I should. And then I feel guilty and the mom guilt comes in and, you know, so it's like this whole cycle. But um, a couple of, a couple of things I've done is, one, I listened, like eased up on the snack consumption and just kind of made a basket for them. And like, if it's in the basket, you can have it. You don't have to mm-hmm. ask, just do it. I let them come in my office and play. If they're going to play on their tablets quietly, they can come sit in my office with me. So then at least that's together time where I can concentrate. And then for Madison, who who's learning how to write, and Madison is very, she'll, she'll come in here every 10 minutes if, if I don't keep her in check. <laughs> to tell me just like the most random things. So I bought her a journal and I gave her a pencil and I said, anything that you want to tell me, you have to write it in this book. And when mommy's done working, you can sit down and tell me everything that you needed to say. And it's worked and, and, and it's, you know, of course, then she wants to come in and tell me what she wrote about. And I have to remind her constantly, like <laughs> five o'clock is the reading is reading time. Um, <laughs> But just giving her an outlet for her energy, giving me a little break. And and it, it's hard. It is hard because I also, especially for Brooklyn, because I wasn't working when she first came, I don't want them to ever think that they're not important or they're not my first priority. When I interviewed for this job, one of the managers asked me, 
what gets me up in the morning. And, and my answer without a doubt is my children. Mm-hmm. They're the reason I get up and do all this, you know? Um, and it's for things like, I want to take them back to Disneyland. I, I, you know, I want them to have a nice home. I want to buy them pretty dresses. And I want to show them that it is possible to have a successful career and be a mom. And then I just make sure that after hours, the phone stays off, my computer stays off, and I'm focused on them. And, and it's just all of us kind of relearning balance. And, and there's also like the exhaustion that I have to deal with. Because um, some days I have to get up at six to do work before they get up because, you know, I'm meeting a deadline or something has to be done. But even that, I just learned, um, I actually shut off my cable, which was really hard for me to do because I love TV. But not having live TV has really helped me refocus my life a little bit. And I know that's weird because I have Netflix and Disney, but there's only so much true crime you can watch in a day. (laughs) So I've learned to turn the TV off and go to bed early or read a book um, just to kind of energize. And it really, it just comes down to balance and finding out what's comfortable for you. I think that's amazing. I love the idea of the journal too for Madison because I think that sparks her creativity at a young age. She gets Mm -hmm. to practice with the writing and it gives you guys an activity to do once you're done with work and it kind of puts that demarcation in the day a little bit more too, which I think it does help create that balance a little bit more. Now, I know this isn't really in the questions. I know that we've been talking a lot about career, but I I still remember when you came to our group and told us, you know, that you were planning to adopt Madison. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to know a little bit more about your adoption story and just your inspiration to adopt. Absolutely. So honestly, adoption is something that I was always interested in just because, so I I met my friend Kim, gosh, probably almost 10 years ago now. And um, she is a foster parent and I just admired what she did. And she always had the most adorable babies around her and these cute, adorable kids. And I just admired it. And it was honestly, actually with Andrew, before Andrew was born, we were talking about adopting And then I wound up getting pregnant with Andrew. So that kind of went on the back burner. And then after Andrew was born, Brian just really wasn't interested in having any more kids. So my, my plan, my evil plan was (laughs) when our boys got older, I was going to try and talk him into fostering. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, like when Andrew was in high school or, or something. So I met Madison the week she came into foster care. She was, it was October. It was Halloween. She had just turned two in July And we were at a a, a trunk or treat event at our church and she had, I might cry. She had the biggest blue eyes I had ever Mm -hmm. seen. And she was so full of happiness and excitement about everything that was going on around her. And I just instantly connected with her. And that day I actually held, she has a, a younger biological sister who was a month old, two months old at the time. And I wound up holding her the entire time and she wound up going to her uh, paternal grandmother. But, um, I just, Madison just always had a connection with her and she, um, she's just the cutest thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mentioned it to Brian again, a couple of times. And again, he just really wasn't, he's like, I'm happy with her life, you know, blah, blah, blah. So remember I had just built the pool when we graduated. Mm-hmm. So we had um, a pool party and she was over um, with Kim and her family and she was just adorable. And then about three months later, Kim and I were a weekend away and she was talking about her foster kids. And she said, you know, I'm just so upset about Madison. And I was like, well, what's wrong? And she said, 
you know, her, her case is going to adoption and I just don't feel that I'm the right home for her because she requires a lot of attention and she needs to be in a home where she's going to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. So that like sparked a little thing in my head. <laughs> and I came home that day and I said to Brian, I'm like, I know I've brought this up to you before. And I said, but do you remember Madison? And, and I just told him what was going on and he didn't say no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. He didn't say no, it's not dead in the water. Like this could go somewhere. So we just, you know, we started talking about it. We started visiting with her and then it became a conversation of, okay, what are we going to do with the house? Because the boys were six years apart and we didn't really want them to um, share a room and we couldn't put Madison and Andrew together. So we're like, well, number one, and we were kind of torn because we had just built the pool. So it was, do we put an addition on? Like, what do we do? So we decided to list our house and Chase's mother-in-law actually listed our house for us. <laughs> and uh, she listed the house and we got full asking price on the first per- from the first person who came to look at our house. Wow. And to me, I was like, how is this not God's will? Like how, you know what I mean? Like this just doesn't happen. And I guess now it does, but you know, three, <laughs> two, three years ago, you know, and the guy was awesome. He pulled me outside and he didn't want his realtor to come with him. He was like, no, you stay inside. I want to talk to her myself. His wife hadn't even seen the house. And he's like, no, we're going to buy this house. Don't show it to anybody else. I want this house. And they did. And the inspection went perfect and everything went perfect. And then we found the house we were in and it just kind of all fell into place. And then it was hard because at the time Madison's rights weren't terminated. So we had to go through that whole process um, and for, for anybody who doesn't know, when, when a child is brought into foster care, there's two paths. The goal is always reunification at first. And the, the biological parents have an opportunity. They get a case plan and they have the opportunity to work that case plan. If they don't, then the child's rights are terminated by the state and they go up for adoption. So even though her biological mother had not seen her in, in a long time, it was still scary, you know, like what if somebody comes out of the woodwork and tries to take her away from us? And we had some challenges. Um, but then we finally got her in our home full time. We actually did weekends with her for about seven months. And it was very hard on all of us. It was hard for her, you know, and, and it was yeah. funny because, you know, she was three and a half years old. And, and one day she said to me and, and she had started calling me mom on her own. And she said, you know, mommy, I don't want to go back and forth anymore. And, and that day, <laughs> so weird how God works. That day is when we got the permanent order for her to live with us. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then from there, everything just kind of went. And um, so that December, that was May. And in December, we were able to finalize the adoption. It was the last appointment of the year. We got December 20- 31st at 1 p.m. And I'm sure you, I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures that I showed online. Yeah. No, but it, it was a magical day. It was even the judge was really touched by how much love was in the room. And, and just that feeling that that feeling, there's a lot of fear in this whole process, because there's so many unknowns. Mm-hmm. And the court system is I will say this, the court system is horrible when it comes to foster children. And I understand that it's underfunded and understaffed. And I'm just going to get put get on my little soapbox for a second. There needs to be there needs to be reform in, in the child welfare system, because the laws are written to protect parents rights, and they're not written to protect children's rights. And I find that to be very sad. And, and, and I understand the need to protect parents rights, because if somebody falsely accuses you of something, you want to be protected, right? 
-hmm. or if you're a drug addict and you, and this is what it takes to get you sober and you need time to get sober and get your life. Like I absolutely get that. Kim always tells me this wonderful story about a woman. It took her over two years to get her son back, but this woman would walk to, so she wouldn't miss a visit if she didn't have a ride. Like she did whatever it took. And then there's some women who, and men um, who just disappear. And that is the, where the case where I feel like it should be like automatic termination and, and these parents shouldn't have, you know, they abandon their children. If you abandon your children, you shouldn't have a chance to get them back, in my opinion. So anyway, so off my soapbox, um, <laughs> it's a long drawn out process. It can be very stressful. But if you look at the pictures from that day, it was all worth it. And I have this gorgeous, smart, funny, caring, very hyper full of energy little girl <laughs> who tries my patience, but really she's a gift. You know, she really is a gift. And, and Brooklyn, Brooklyn was more of a challenge. You know, we thought, so when they were living apart, Brooklyn was still in the foster home that, that Madison came from. Madison was always very concerned about her. She understood that Brooklyn was her niece. She understood that her sister, um, that Brooklyn's mom was her sister, you know, um, because Madison's sister was really her mother figure. So mm-hmm. she was more bonded with her sister than her, her biological mother. So it was very traumatic for Madison to not understand why her sister wasn't taking care of her baby. So and, and that's hard to explain to a five-year-old. And we thought bringing her into the home, she'd feel comfort. She'd have somebody to play with, you know, and that's not what happened. <laughs> it quickly became competitive. But like I, I, I've said to you before, um, they... They love each other with all their heart and soul, but they're girls and they're sisters and, mm-hmm. and that's just the way it's going to be. But yeah, so Brooklyn's a challenge where, um, you know, she had some trauma in her life and she, uh, she was, she didn't know how to communicate properly. So that's what we've been working on is like, I, um, she screamed for, because she didn't know what else to do and mm-hmm. she would scream in anger. She would scream in sadness. So we've been working on that and, and it's actually going really well. We just had a therapy session today and we're really happy with the way things are going. And, you know, when she's not screaming, again, intelligent, beautiful, smart, loving, you know, and, and I'm so lucky because I, I hear stories of other children who these kids go through some stuff, especially older kids who get passed around from house to house to house. And it, it's so sad. You know, I, I remember when we were taking the adoption class because um, at first we were not going to take Brooklyn and it was Brian who said to me, I think we should take Brooklyn because during the adoption class, you just learn what some of these kids go through and any mm-hmm. connection to their biological family is important as long as it's healthy. Um, you know, so they know, so they feel like they belong to something. And I always tell people, it's like at the end of the Grinch, when his heart grows, mm-hmm. I felt like that was Brian. <laughs> <laughs> because we, we even had a conversation about potentially when all the kids are gone, maybe taking in some older teenagers. And I encourage anybody, if you've ever thought about it, look into it, take the orientation, ask questions, because there's so many kids who just need some love. And it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Being a foster parent is very difficult. And being adopted mom is difficult. But there's those moments where it just becomes, uh, I should say, you just know it's right, you know, and, and I've questioned mm-hmm. it too. Like, did I do the right thing? How is this affecting Richie and Andrew? Um, does Andrew, you know, Andrew struggles because he doesn't want to play with girls. You know, he's an 11 year old boy and, and Richie and Andrew get stressed out when, when Brooklyn's screaming and it's all that. But God put these girls in our lives for a reason. 
Mm-hmm. And we just have to go day by day and find out what that reason is. And we might never know what the reason is, right? But they're here and we're going to take care of them. And and I think it's brought us close together as a family as well. And they are, they're just really stinking cute. And my dad makes fun of me because <laughs> I dress them alike all the time and I will do that as long as they let me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah, you you have such a beautiful family and the girls are so cute. And I haven't gotten to meet Brooklyn in person yet, but I still remember meeting Madison, I think when you were still getting her on weekends and she came to, um, we had a little brunch at our friend Chase's house. And I remember since our class was not very many women, we decided to do a girl's photo and Madison came running into the shot and she jumped into, (laughs) I think Magdalena's arms. Like it was, and she just, she had this big smile on her face. She wanted to be in the picture with the girls and my heart, I'm like, I'm like tearing up thinking about it. She was just so sweet. (laughs) She really is. She actually, um, her teacher tells me all the time, (laughs) Madison is so loving that sometimes she has to tell her to back off because she'll like do other children's work for them when they're struggling. Sometimes she's too loving, but you know, if if that's the worst she can do, I'll take it. But, uh, and then, and I, and I will brag on, um, Andrew and Richie. I feel like I've left them out of this. So Richie graduates in a month from high school and he is not only going to Embry-Riddle, but he is in the honors college at Embry-Riddle. Congratulations. That's incredible. Uh, Yes. I am super proud. When we visited the campus a couple of weeks ago, um, I kept saying to him, I'm like, do you understand? Like, you're at an elite school and then you're like in the elite of the elite school. Yes. <laughs> like, do you understand how special your brain is? And, and, and I brag on him because I'm, I admire him, you know, mm-hmm. I admire his way of thinking and, and, you know, he got a scholarship and, you know, that's just amazing. And then Andrew is about to enter middle school and he is drumming. He has become oh a gosh. very good drummer. Yes. yes. <laughs> I, he started last year and we thought it'd be a good outlet for his energy especially being home and his, and his uh, music teacher was willing to come to the house, you know, cause the drums were in the garage and they were able to, you know, social distance. So he's doing fantastic. And you, I probably, you've probably seen pictures of them. I always swore my boys would have short boy haircuts mm-hmm. until they were 18. And if you've seen them recently, no, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so yeah. yeah, Andrew's, Andrew's hair is down to his neck. Uh, wow. Like, you know, to his shoulders and he wears earrings now. He asked me to get his ears pierced. He's super cool, wears vans all the time. I just oh, my gosh. The cutest. Yeah. <laughs> and then Richie what, refuses to cut his hair and he just has this big head of curly hair. <laughs> <laughs> but I am I, I am a truly, truly blessed woman. I, I, it's so crazy. Cause I still remember starting our program and I mean, Andrew was like a little boy and Richie was barely a teenager. I mean, maybe yep. he wasn't even a teenager, I guess, middle school. It's so great to see what you and your family are doing. I'm always inspired by you as a mother and you know, everything that you're doing and your adoption story, you know, as I said, like I get tears in my eyes, but oh, I think, thank you. you know, yeah. <laughs> and you're such a, you're such a great advocate for the process as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I told Brian that that's something I feel really passionate about. And I've actually reached out to a state senator and I've written the governor and um, my plan is uh, to continue that that journey is I really want to start advocating for children a little more. You know, um, mm-hmm. we don't feel that it's right for our family to take any more children in at this time, just because I don't mm-hmm. feel we'd be a good home right now. Not that we wouldn't be a good home. It's just we have enough right now and, and we need to focus on them. But 
you know, to continue to do my part is um, I really plan on advocating for these children and, and talking to anybody who'll listen to me about it. You know, I have a friend who um, I love telling this story. She's she's an advocate for all injustices in the world. She's an amazing human being. And there was um, uh, some shady stuff going on in her local water company. Everybody was getting these astronomical bills and they wouldn't look into it and they wouldn't have an audit and all this kind of stuff. So she paid her $400 water bill in pennies. Oh my gosh. And it was on the news and she's like, it's a peaceful protest. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm peacefully protest. And, and I just admire that in her. Like she's not, she's one who's not afraid. She just does it, you know, mm-hmm. and she's an inspiration to me. And, and she said to me, cause I was upset about, you know, one of the court proceedings and I always feel, I was feeling bad. Like, I don't want to keep bothering the caseworker. I don't want to bother this person. They have such a big workload. And and she said to me, if you don't speak up for her, who's going to? And, and you know, and she's like, you need to yell. You need to yell to anybody that'll listen. And, and she means that metaphorically, but, you know, I do. And, and that's when I, and it encouraged me to go home that day. And I wrote this really long letter to the governor. I haven't heard back, but I wrote it. And I plan on doing it again because somebody who has, as much passion about this as I do, I, I need to make up for the people that don't talk about it, you know, and, and just let it go. And, you know, so I, I just feel this great desire to really advocate for these kids and, and get these laws changed to give the children more rights. You know, there has to be a balance on there and we got to find it. Absolutely. Well, and I think what you're doing is making a difference, even if you don't hear back right away, just thinking about there's that story that you hear, the story of the starfish where the little girl is throwing the starfish into the ocean as they wash ashore. Someone tells her, oh, you know, that's not really making a difference. There's so many starfish on the beach. And she's like, but I made a difference for that one. Mm-hmm continuing to do the thing and, you know, putting forth that effort, you are making a difference. And, you know, I'm really excited to see where you go with that. I've been so inspired by everything that you're doing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited about where my life is right now. I'm really enjoying this new career opportunity. Uh, Like Brian said, if I wind up hating it in six months, I can go find a sourcing job, you know, or or try something new, you know, um, Mm -hmm. And and that's the thing is, I think we're so, a lot of us have that old school mentality. You know, my grandfather worked at the same company his whole life Mm -hmm. and he retired, you know, he worked for Revlon in New Jersey, (laughs) you know, and I think we're just so programmed to do that. And and I'm kind of changing my tune where I'm like, no, we need to take risks and we need to be energized and happy with what we're doing. Otherwise we just get cranky and we take that out in the people we love. A hundred percent. And your work is a third of your life. If you're working a regular, you know, 40 hour work week, or probably for many of us, it turns into more than that, but it's a third of your life. And if you're not happy in that third of your life, it definitely translates into the other areas for sure. Before we dive into the rapid fire questions, just as a mom and as a woman working, you know, in, especially in a new career, do you have any tips for standing out and for advocating for yourself in a new role? I think it goes back to my, my feelings about fear. You know, you just kind of pass through it, be yourself, listen. I think that's a big thing. Listen to the things that are going on around you, learn the personalities. I've been in situations before where I came in too strong. And then I've been in situations where I've come in too weak in my life and there has to be a balance. And I've learned that communicating and listening are so important and advocating for yourself. I right away, my first conversations have been revolved around what are your expectations of me so I can meet them? You know, I don't want to have to 
pretend like I know or try and figure it out. Just tell me straight up. And I'm honest with them. I need to know what your expectations mm-hmm. are of me so I can meet them. And, and in my mind, I'm going to exceed them, but I need to know what they're mm-hmm. looking for. And then there's a, a part of my job where I have to work weekends. And part of this role, the level that it's at, I shouldn't, I'm salary now and not hourly. So that should go to an hourly person who can get overtime or, you, you know, and stuff. And I've been very vocal about it that, hey, I'm salary now, I'm doing these different things, I'm doing a different job, so I shouldn't be part of this task Mm -hmm. anymore, you know, and it's something I feel strongly about, especially being a working mom, my Saturdays should be for my kids, you know, and I was willing to do it to get my foot in the door and show them that I'm a team player, but now that I've shown you, it's time for somebody else to take on that role, you know, and, 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 you know, a lot of this comes from (laughs) hurt. Uh, hurt in my career and, and being held back and not getting the things that made me happy. And I think this whole year has just taught me to speak up, speak up and say what you need to say, because nobody else is going to do it for you. And you can do it in a professional manner. And I think that's really important too, is come in understanding, come in with a backup plan, come in with something, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that goes back to the listening is hear, hear what's going on around you. What are they looking for? What are they lacking? And then be that solution for them. And that's how you could also advocate for yourself as well. That's such great advice. And I think I I have the same experience too with, I I really do need to know what the organization expects of me so that I can then, you know, exceed those expectations, but ultimately to know what I'm going to be doing. So then I can Mm -hmm. work toward that next goal and take that next step. But I think you're so right too, that just being honest about what your expectations are and what, what is okay for you, what your boundaries are, because the answer is always no, if you don't ask. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I I love all of that advice and I'm so inspired by everything that you're doing personally and professionally. And before I let you go, I have a few rapid fire questions that I would love to ask you as well. All right. All right. You ready? I'm ready. All right. What is your top wellness tip? Sleep. Sleep when you can. 100%. (laughs) I need to follow that one, but I totally agree. Turn off the TV and sleep. (laughs) That's what I need to do. I need to get rid of my cable and then maybe yeah. I'll, you know, where is your favorite travel destination? Uh, so far in my life, Disneyland in California. Ooh, I haven't yeah. been, I've been right outside. Yes. We went last year and I absolutely fell in love with it. Being a huge Disney nerd, being where Walt was, was magical for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's smaller, a little more intimate and has some different rides and they have these really good donuts and I just really enjoy being out there. I need to take a trip to California, so I'll have to add that to the the itinerary. (laughs) Now, if you were an animal, what animal would you be and why? A dog, because everybody loves dogs. I love that. (laughs) I want to just sit there. Yeah, I just want to sit there and be pet like Ricky Bobby. (laughs) (laughs) And for listeners who don't know, Ricky Bobby is her dog. (laughs) Not the the Talladega Nights. (laughs) If you could master a completely new skill, what would that be? I would love to learn how to code just a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be able to write some really good macros or something. I'd like to be a little bit more technical. Yeah. That's a, that's a great goal. And I would love to learn how to cook. I can't cook well. I can cook well, but I'd like to be a little more inventive. I was going to say, I enjoy your cooking, but. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I always enjoyed family dinners in grad school. Yes. (laughs) 
And my final question for you, what is next on your bucket list? That's a very good question. I think next on my bucket list is I'd really like to get healthier and get my family healthier. Brian and I have decided to try and phase out all the processed food in our life and eat a little more organically. So that's kind of like my next thing I'd really like to overcome is I've always been overweight, so I'd really like to get my weight under control. And then fun stuff is um, I really would like to start traveling again. Brian and I talked about going to Alaska for our 20th anniversary in a couple of years. So um, yeah, and then being the nerd that I am, while we're in that area of the world, I'm going to make him take me to Forks, Washington, where Twilight takes place. (laughs) I can't say I'm a big Twilight fan, but I love the Pacific Northwest. And I definitely, I I would add that to my bucket list as well. I think um, mine's very similar to yours, travel and getting a little bit healthier after this pandemic and being Mm -hmm. stuck at home. It's very easy to go for the convenience. Yeah. Being at home, we'd want to cook more, but I think that novelty sort of wore out after a few months. And then we baked a lot, which wasn't healthy. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> instead of like, hey, let's take this time to make healthier food, it's like, what can we bake today? <laughs> and yeah, it, it was disappointing because I had lost a bunch of wheat before the pandemic, and I really was happy with the way I looked. And and then it happened, and then it just all came right back. You know, especially when Brian got COVID and we were stuck in the house for two weeks, like completely stuck in the house. We baked and ate a lot of fettuccine and, you know, just kind of ate our way through COVID. Yeah. Well, I think that's been a survival for so many people in the last year. So I don't think that you're alone in that. I'm certainly right in that boat alongside mm-hmm. you. And I didn't have anyone in my household with it, but I think being stuck in the house, you run out of some things to do after a while and food can certainly be a comfort. And the the convenience is always nice for, for certain things as well. But I do think with this thing finally ending and hopefully having – you would think having a social life again might push you know health the other way. But I don't think that's going to be the case for so many of us because I think just the, the, the effects of isolation even on our overall health, I mean, I think it's mm-hmm. going to change for a lot of us moving forward, especially as, as the vaccines roll out and as more of Absolutely. us start – yeah. So this was lovely. I loved getting to chat with you. Now, how can our listeners, yes, how can our listeners connect with you? Um, So I'm on LinkedIn as my full name, Bridget, B-R-I-D-G-E-T, and Peppy, P-E-P-E. You can also find me on Facebook as Bridget Dwyer Peppy, and Dwyer's D-W-Y-E-R. Wonderful. I will link all of that in the show notes. I'll also link the Megan Kelly book so people can check that out and a link to the song as well, because I know I'm going to want to listen to it. Probably everyone's going to be Googling it when they get out. So (laughs) I'll throw that in there as well. So I just want to say again, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today and for sharing all of this incredible advice and wisdom. I know that listeners are really going to absolutely love hearing your story. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be part of it. I loved getting the chance to catch up with Bridget and hear more about her journey, both in her career and as a mom. Bridget has truly inspired me since day one that I've known her. And I really loved what she had to say about overcoming your fears to achieve the things you really want and about settling for more 
because I think this is a message that all of us could really benefit from right now. I also thought that her tips for parents who are working from home were incredibly helpful. I know that I'm going to be passing a few of those along to other friends of mine and and colleagues who are parents. I have linked all of Bridget's information in the show notes, and I've also linked the song and book that she recommended, and you can find all of that in the show notes and at wellnessandwanderlist.net. Thank you, as always, for sharing a part of your day with us here at Wellness and Wanderlust. And of course, as I say every week, if you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you share it on your social media and tag me. Please feel free to rate and review the show on whatever app you're listening on. It helps other people to find the show. And if you have a topic that you would like to see, shoot me an email at Valerie at wellnessandwanderlust.net. Have a wonderful day, and I can't wait to see you next week.